Allison Crow, and this is a bonus episode of the Better Life, Better Work show. I am honored to be recording this live in studio with wine and beer in hand. By the way, for podcast listeners, there is a visual of this on Facebook. We are recording live Facebook today, and I am here with the best-selling of our family and friends author. <laughs> Say it like it is true because it is. Um, it's true if you say it. Best-selling author Bill Flanagan. He's recently published a novel, a novella, um, which is way longer than a short story, but shorter than a novel. Hollywood, Texas. Woohoo! Woohoo! <laughs> it's good. So, um, yeah, this is my husband, y'all, Bill Flanagan. Hello, everybody. I am the behind-the-scenes better half or other half. Better half? I changed it. Yes, you did. Very good. Okay, so here's what we're going to do today. So the first thing we're going to... What are we going to do today? I know. The first thing we're going to do, and we still only have the proof copies. The author copies haven't coming in. Coming in? They haven't Miles come in yet due to production <laughs> issues, apparently. But they're, they'll be here for the launch party. That's the main thing. So actually, a lot of people that have bought the book and have already read the book have been sharing their photographs of them holding the book. We and want they you got to it that. before I did. And actually. they got their published copies before Bill yes. got his author copies. But this is Bill's new book, Hollywood, Texas. It's a fiction romance love story. And we're going to talk about that. Slightly dark. That's a thing, apparently. Dark romance. I just It's a that. dark romance. <laughs> well, there's some twists and turns. And I was going to look for your other book. This is Bill's second published book. I thought I had your other one close by. Well, you should have it very I, close by. I don't know where his other one but is. I don't he see has it. another one. But this this is his second published book. We want you all to run out to Amazon and search for Hollywood, Texas under Bill Flanagan and get this book. Um, it's a, It's fun. But today we're going to talk about a couple things. So we're going to talk with Bill about... He's writing notes. I'm writing a note. He, we're going to um, talk about Bill as a writer. I know that many of my colleagues and friends um, want to write and publish a book. I know that I've wanted to write a book forever. And in the last three years, my husband, actually in the last two years, my husband has published two. And he's not like in this all online world where a lot of us, a lot of people are publishing books and stuff. And my husband just went and wrote a book and published it. And it's an interesting story. I I, I feel. So we're going to talk about the story in a minute. But first, I want um, you to introduce yourself okay. and tell a little bit about how you became a professional and paid writer. Okay. Well, um, <laughs> first of all, I never considered myself a writer or an author. When I was a kid, I didn't keep a journal. I didn't write for the most part, short stories. Um, it just wasn't something that I did. I, I was a school teacher, and I had a couple of kids over the years that did go home and write stories for fun, which was rare. It's hard to get kids to even read for fun. There's so many other things they can do, and to write for fun is extremely, extremely rare. But I wasn't one of those kids. I wrote when I was given an assignment at school and I did the assignment 
So it's not something, you know, writers you know, if you say, well, you're born with that writing gene. It's, it's, it's not true. It might be true for some people, but certainly not all people. I it was born with me. the writing gene, but I did not, I have not published a book yet by so any means. I was a middle school English teacher. I was a science teacher and I fell into writing English and I had to, or, or teaching English and I had to teach kids how to write and they hated it. It's very, it, it, I contend it's the hardest thing that any teacher in any school room has to do is get kids interested in writing because it, it's a process and people and especially kids, they want those things to be over quickly and they move, want to move on to the next thing and writing just doesn't lend itself to being done fast. It's a slow process and we don't live in a world that values that. Oh, so, gee, we just talked about that today on a business or actually really? on a life coaching call. It was kind of like got to be willing to do the slow process to get the results. It is a want. process. And I have to tell them it's going to be slow and that's okay. And when you first start to write, it's going to be bad and that's okay. It's going to get better. It's like when I helped coach my son's baseball team, they weren't great hitters right off the bat, right out of the gate. You have to practice it. It's no different. Writing's no different than any other skill. Um, takes a little bit of work and a little bit of practice. So that's how I started writing by becoming an English teacher. I was forced to teach children how to write. It's forced. That's right. At I was knife, forced to. At knife point to teach yeah, sixth it was graders the, how it was to in write. the curriculum. I had to do it. <laughs> and what I noticed right away was the curriculum people would tell us what we needed to do, but they never showed us. And so we got out of that. Teachers get in the habit of telling kids how to write and what to write, but they don't really show them what they mean. So what I started doing, and I felt I was one of the few, maybe the only one in my campus that even did this, is I started writing mentor texts, little one and two page pieces. I wrote them in a comp book and I saved those comp books year after year. And I had one too long. I had four or five of these comp books. So when I told them we're going to write a, a story or a piece about this, I could whip out my comp book. I could put it on the doc cam. I could read it to them. I could say, this is the kind of thing I want you to write. So real quick, tell them what a comp book is. Just a composition notebook. Just a, like a little mini notebook. Yeah, like yeah. you had when you were a kid. Okay. But the mentor test, text is an example of a text, or in my case, it was a story. And they're usually one to two pages because that's all I could really expect a kid that age to produce. But it had to be good. And so I had to show them what good was. So you started writing short little mini stories. Yes. And then you retired. And they weren't anything extravagant at all. Um, but that's that's a whole nother. Well, but road. you were practicing. You were writing on a regular basis. I felt like if I could write like a really good sixth grader. <laughs> That's not bad, actually. That's actually that's actually really good. That's actually not too bad. If I could get my kids to write like a really good sixth grader, that's pretty good writing. There were times where I'd bring home stacks of papers and I would read them, and out of a hundred, there might be three that I uh, that I would enjoy reading. And, and and here's the key, and this is what I told my students: is I'm your audience. You better make it slightly entertaining for me, because otherwise. It's not interesting writing. It's kind of like that Seinfeld episode where Kramer sells his stories to Peterman for a book. And 
there's an episode or there's, there's an episode where he's, he is returning some pants, but he falls down in some mud and he gets the pants muddy. And Seinfeld says, you mean you were wearing the pants that you were returning? And he goes, well, yeah. And he goes, well, that's interesting writing. <laughs> so that I would show my students a clip of that Seinfeld episode because it, they're reading something that you have never read before. So quit telling me stories about Six Flags. Quit telling me stories about your dog. Quit telling me stories about the time you scored the winning basket in a basketball game. As great as those things may seem to you, they are boring to someone who is reading it because it's a story they've read a million times. So that's a, a mindset set shift for them. So how did you go from teaching these kids to publishing two books in two years? Well, the first book was a, a um, what do you call it? A collection of published articles that I had had published online, Huffington Post, music stuff at Culture Sonar. There was a yoga site that I did. Do you remember that? Yes. And um, they paid me in yoga gift cards. Yes. Which I gave to you. Yes. <laughs> but the only reason I did it is because you said, you don't know anything about yoga. You don't know anything about Eastern style of, you know, lifestyle. You can't write this. And my, my response was basically hold my beer and watch me. And I wrote three pieces for them. <laughs> do you remember that? Yes, I do. So he retires from teaching and comes home and he's like, after he's drinking a beer right now, I'm drinking wine. Right pearl. Now. I'm drinking red wine. He's drinking pearl beer for our listening audience. Yeah. Okay. It's tasty. So he starts writing, he starts writing um, different articles, different topics, but you wrote, like, well, I got, published something every I really, week. I really, um, at this time, from when I retired in 2000, basically January 2015, I got published my very first piece on Huffington Post. It was, I wrote for the relationships, divorce, love section, and it was really weird. I sent them a blind pitch. I heard back from them about a month later. And every time I sent something to my editor, they would promote it. I got really lucky. I mean, it was good writing. I look back on it now. It's like, mm, maybe not technically like I would have written it today, but it was interesting. And it was different. And I just, I caught lightning in a bottle and I probably had 30 to 40 pieces published by HuffPost not just in that section, in parenting, in business, in humor. I had a couple humor pieces that I really liked. And that was a great springboard for me. I could email a place. I could attach a link to my writer's page on HuffPost. And basically, I could write almost for any, anybody then after that. And I wrote about 80 to 90 published pieces over the course of about four four, four and a half years, right. but it got to be kind of like homework. And, and then you wrote a screenplay. I did write a screenplay, which I really liked. I need to go back and polish that up. It's I tabled it. So we'll talk, but it was about, good fiction. We'll talk about that more Practice. because what the other thing you did was you started practicing fiction because you'd been writing like these stories mm -hmm. and reviews. Right. And then he started writing some fiction. And what I, what I noticed, well, hold on a minute. Okay. So one quick thing, I was having lunch with a former teacher of mine who quit teaching and started working at a liquor store because he was just burnt out. And we had lunch and he told me, and this was after I'd published all those pieces at HuffPost. And he was asking me about it. And then he told me after I asked him what he'd been up to, he said, well, I published a book. Now I was fairly blown away 
I don't want to out this individual, but I'm thinking you published a book, <laughs> you. So, so, um, and, and so he told me about it. He brought it up on Amazon. He showed me how he did it. And it was about DNA. It was science fiction about DNA modification. I never read the book. I told him I would. So I lied, but I left there and I thought, can I cuss? You can cuss all I thought life. if that motherfucker can write a book, anybody could. I swear to God, that's what I left. Okay. And I came home that day and I told Allison, I'm writing a book. But really, my book was already wrote, written. I was, I was going to compile my favorite articles out of the 80 or so that I would published. I picked 30 of my favorites and that was my first book. Okay. So this is a key takeaway audience, right? Like it's way harder and easier than you ever thought. And so a lot of people who are thinking of doing this and wanting to do this are all up in their head in their confusion rather than buckling it down and doing the work. And so, like you said, you had been writing weekly. You compiled it. I'm going to move through this fast because okay. we really want to talk about Hollywood, Texas. But you um, ended up uh, basically editing all that into the first right. book. Um I'm having a brain fart on the name. I formatted it. What was Geometry Weeds, Flowers, and Eight-Track Tapes. Which is the name of a love story about me. Part I of shouldn't it. know and the then, name. Except for the eight-tracks. <laughs> that was my love affair with eight-track tapes. There were a couple pieces I had written that mentioned eight-track tapes. And the big cover had a picture of an eight-track tape on it. And so he got he published that book. And then you wrote... Not then, but because before that, you actually... So this is the part I want people to see, too. What I saw Bill do was every single day, he left, and he went somewhere that didn't have Wi-Fi, and he wrote. And the screenplay, he wrote by hand in a spiral notebook. First filled up three spiral notebooks. <laughs> I later compiled it on loose-leaf paper and put it in a binder. And then yes. the same thing happened this time when you were writing Hollywood, Texas. I did it, that on my, my, my you did that, But you you, yes. you did. You would leave the house every day and yes. you would go down to the barbecue shop down I the road. I went to the barbecue shop because... No Wi-Fi. Well, and I could sit there and drink iced tea all day. Drink iced tea all day, but no Wi-Fi and really bad cell coverage. So you're not going to... There's no distractions. You set yourself right. up and, you know, you weren't here. I never, I never put you. my laptop, I never synced it up with the Wi-Fi anywhere I ever went. If I needed to, I could always look at my phone. And so he starts coming back. Allison, read this chapter one. Allison, read this chapter two. And all of a sudden I'm like, holy shit, this is really good. Well, and should we talk about where I get the idea for this story at? Yes. Okay. So now, so I'm, this is so, Bill's, hold on. This is your first podcast interview, right? Yes. A little behind the scenes. We have three little notes here of what we're going to talk about. So we wanted to just do a little debrief of where he came from because he didn't go to writing school to learn how to publish books. No. And so let's talk about middle school. Hollywood, you've been Texas. in middle school. You can do it. If you've been in middle school. You can do it. But let's talk about school. where did the idea from Hollywood, Texas come? All right, there are a few influences on this idea. The first influence was when I got divorced from my first marriage, which happened at the end of 2003, beginning of 2004. I was pretty young, 40, 41 years old, still looked good, didn't have a lot of gray like I do now. And I thought, I'd like to go out with Sandra Bullock. There is absolutely no reason why Sandra Bullock would not go out with me if I just had a chance. <laughs> if I could just meet her, 
do you know if she just gave me five minutes i was convinced i could ask i could ask her out to coffee and i think she that's would go. kind of funny because i i didn't know you then but i wanted to be best friends with sandra bullock and if she just gave me a chance she'd want to drink beer with me yeah well possibly um i don't know if sandra bullock is a diva if she's hard to be around but she was my celebrity crush she she was just adorable and i thought why the hell isn't a why can't a woman like Sandra Bullock go out with a school teacher? Well, they don't. They go out with actors, athletes, musicians, or if they go out with a guy that's not famous, he's absolutely loaded. He's a hedge fund manager. That's he's why a, I went out with you. A real estate mogul. Why I went out with you. They don't go out with school teachers and welders, you know, and landscape architects. Now they might, after they've been chewed up by the rich guys and realize that those people live in a different reality than we do. Okay, so that was my first thing. The second thing was, um, and uh, this is a little embarrassing to admit, but I have seen the movie Notting Hill about a hundred times. In fact, I watched it just the other day at Andy's house when I was out sitting. And in it, as you know, Hugh Grant plays William meets Julia Roberts. <laughs> And they have this love affair. Now, he has absolutely no upper hand in this relationship. He has to follow her lead. He's a nobody. She's world-renowned. And I thought it was kind of silly. And, um, but, yeah, it was a great idea. When he takes her to his sister's birthday, one of the most famous women on the planet, and he's taking her to a birthday of – party dinner party with all the you know it's, i could imagine what it'd be like to take a famous person over to meet the family like allison oh i mean no. sandra bullock but i wanted to make that's that was a preposterous idea but a good one it made a great story but i wanted mine to be more realistic and i thought the only way a normal average dude could bag a babe like Sandra Bullock or Julia Roberts is if he really didn't know who the hell she was, which sounds very from the woman's perspective. That's right. If the, the if the woman, if he treated her like just a regular human being, because a famous woman's always, <laughs> a famous woman is always going to wonder, does this guy like me because I'm famous or I have dough just like a rich guy might wonder, does this chick like me for my money? You never, you know, you want to be liked for who you are, not what you are. Right. So that was the idea is like, he's going to treat this woman like a normal chick and she's going to dig it because she's going to realize, well, he kind of likes me maybe just for me. Let's see where this goes. But if he doesn't really know who, and, and in this book, this Hollywood, guy, Texas. he lives on a ranch. He doesn't have a computer. He's, you know, she's, he's around 40. She's around 32, a little bit older, but certainly doable age age range and you know he just goes up to a pretty girl in a bar and asks her to shoot a game of pool and at first she's a little standoffish and but then they shoot a game of pool have a really good time she's there with her stunt double they're just finishing a movie in her home county hamilton county hamilton texas and he introduces himself and she introduces herself thinking well he should know who i am and then he leaves and the stunt double turns turns to the rich girl. Her name is Katie Crockett. 
that's a whole nother issue how I came up with that name. <laughs> but the stunt double turns to Katie and said, that guy did not know who you were. And she said, I don't, I don't think he did. And she, she said, well, if you don't go out and ask him out, and ask him out I'm going to, and I'm not kidding. Cause he's a nice looking dude. And so she does for the first time she makes a move and she unbuttons the button and she goes over and she finds him in the parking lot. She goes, Hey, you, and that's the end of chapter one. And it starts from there. But at some point, she's got to tell him who she is or what she does for a living. Because he, he doesn't know. He doesn't know. And it matters. Because being in a relationship with someone like that, there are certain complications that you would have to deal with eventually. Right. But she doesn't want to because she doesn't want to ruin this organic blossoming romance so this is this is the story of kyle and katie yes and you know i will tell this is the other thing this is all the behind the scenes stuff that oprah would never know to ask you um <laughs> so you would bill would come in oprah what does she know? Stop it. Uh, Bill would come in and share chapters with me, or he would actually email me chapters, and I would read them on my phone with my plus two glasses. And all of a sudden, I'm like, who is this man that I've been married to for all these years? He never uses any of these words. What are you talking about words? I mean, like, I didn't realize. I knew there was more to you, so that's not the right way to say it. But, like, you're paying attention to all these descriptors. One of the reviews on your book said it really well, like the way you describe a scene and then the emotional aspect. So some of you may remember there is an article on how not to write a love note that you wrote. Oh, the love post. The love post. Yes. And so I actually read that to my clients. You read the love post. I read the, the whole story. I read the whole story to my clients and they were like, jaw dropping at his romance that's i'll put a link to that in the show really? notes yeah um but it's kind of fun because it's one of my favorite people, my yes. husband in my eyes who obviously i'm in love with and married but he's a little bit of oscar the grouch on the outside he has a crust outer shell absolutely untrue <laughs> absolutely untrue. oh my god he's a glass half empty i'm a realist but I'm also a hopeless romantic, I think. You are. Well, I didn't, you didn't let me finish. Okay. On the inside, finish. you are soft and pink and loving, and you take great care of me. You're just a little crusty on the outside. Well, everybody should be a little crusty on the outside, at least a little. I don't know if you would have given me a second date if I'd been so crusty. Anyway, so we are really excited. I'm super excited to promote um, this novella by my husband, Bill Flanagan called Hollywood, Texas. So look at this cover. You got an old blue pickup truck. We're not only doing live video, we're also talking to podcast listeners. So this old blue pickup truck, which Kyle drives a blue pickup. Katie has this copper color reddish hair, which I turned the color of her hair to match that in the story. <laughs> Kyle... It looks like a college tight end, just a big dude, sweet, no, you know, simple guy. Good looking. Good looking, but, you know, lives an isolated life, and he's kind of given up on dating. It's like, yeah, there's nothing in it for him kind of thing, you know. We've all had, had been there probably at one time or another. Everything else in, the, in that photo is black and white, except for the truck and the color of their hair. Everything else was whitewashed. 
anyway, I really like it. Um, so it's available on Amazon in both Kindle and in paperback. paperback. It's an easy read. One of your friends said they read it in like three and a half hours. You can read this probably in two to two and a half hours, depending on how much you break, which is about how long it takes you to watch a movie. I wanted to write a book that was essentially a screenplay in, an, in a book form. So you could read it, see the movie play out in your head, and you're not investing, you know, 400 pages in three days in a book. You can read this in, on a flight, on an airplane, and, it, and it's fast-paced. And so what's the feedback you've gotten from the readers? Well, before I mention that, you have to understand that I wanted to write a story that was not formulaic, that had never, at least to my knowledge, never been written before, something different and unique, and so there are some twists and turns in this. Um, so if you, if you, it, it's, I'm not saying it doesn't have a, a good, you know, tied up happy ending necessarily, but there are considerations, let's say. There are some unexpected moments. And you have to be okay with that. If you're not okay with that, if you, if you just want a cookie cutter story, you don't need to read this. Go read something else. If you want something that's a little bit different, this probably is for you. So let me ask you, you said it's called dark romance? Yeah. So what, is, what is the genre of dark romance? Where did know, you hear man. about that? Maybe, it's, maybe it has a vampire in it or something. I have no idea. I'm going to Google that. Keep talking to them while I Google um, that. Well, what it, what, let me think. Um, Who told? How did you hear about that? genre because that's the first time I've heard you say that well, I was looking online I was trying to do some behind the scenes little promotion type things I was looking at some sites and that was on the drop down menu oh, some of those are erotica there's a little bit of I mean I don't know what the exact definition well of this erotica. is not a, it's not this, a child's book this is but it's, it's not a, a, a letter to penthouse form either in, in fact I wanted <laughs> to make sure it wasn't these people do what grown-ups do and grown-ups well, yeah. grown-ups are gonna bang I just that's just what they do. So yes, that's that's in there, but I'm not going to write three pages on glistening body parts. Oh, you're, this is not that bad. Okay. I'm not sure that we call this dark romance. It says it's a literary subgenre of romanticism reflecting popular fascination with the irrational, the demonic, and the gross. There is nothing irrational, demonic, or gross about this. Well, book. then it doesn't have a genre. It's romance. It's a contemporary romance love story. It's all good. Yeah. It's just not cookie cutter. So no, it's not. Yeah, it's not cookie cutter. It leaves you. Someone said it leaves you thinking many days after I, you finish. That the is book. a good a good way. I've gotten that from a lot of people. Yes. It's like I could not stop thinking about this. Your sister had a bad dream about it, <laughs> and I go yes. Now, she kind of took things from point A to point B in a she very in strange yes. way. But, hey, I'm, I'm not going to tell people how they should and shouldn't take that. Right. I wouldn't have thought about that in a million years. Right. <laughs> yeah, so my sister filled in a lot of the, you know, the thought, the thing. This book makes you think. And, and. She filled in the thinking with her own story. Very much so. And, and when she told me that, I was like, what are you talking about? How <laughs> so, did you the, get there? But that's the other thing. You want a, re, you want a reaction. You want people to think. Yes. You didn't want to just... I mean, I've read a lot of My books. beta readers were 
super into it. They gave me really good feedback. I made a few changes, lengthened and added some things. It was, it was a really good part of the process to have those. You know, I learned that from some local writers that I've kind of connected with here. And I'm glad I did that. So if you do write fiction, you know, I'm not saying you should change your story. The, the main part of my story, I wasn't willing to change. But the feedback I got that maybe you should elaborate more on this, on this, down this road a little bit. And it was good feedback. And in fact, I'd have been thinking, yeah, you're, you're right. I, I was already thinking about doing that anyway. Well, so. I think in any creative process that is going to have an outcome for your audience. Um, you know, I talk about feedback a lot with my clients and there's a lot of things I do that I don't want feedback. But if you're doing something like this and you do want it to sell and I want it to get picked up by somebody famous who buys the screen rights and we get totally rich and move to a ranch. You know, I see a lot of bad movies. Uh -huh. This would be a lot better than most of the bad movies I've I agree. watched. I really believe I that. think so too. Yes. And so, so you know, that, so this is a part of his process. You know, one of the things your sixth graders didn't get and that a lot of adults don't get. I get it, but I ignore it. But is that the writing process isn't just right and done. You go back, you review. It's and a so huge part. You went out, you wrote it, you rewrote it, yes. and then you gave it to beta readers. You rewrote it again, and yes. then you gave it to content editors and yep. rewrote it, and then you gave it to the white red line editor, and then rewrote and re-edited a little bit more. Yes. And so, um, which was something I never had to do when I was writing articles for people, let's say like HuffPost. They had editors. When I wrote the music uh, articles for culture sonar i had a, an editor and he would make changes sometimes they were a little more than i liked but he was paying for it so i didn't take it personally so that stuff was basically already redline edited this was not i had to let it go and let let that right get fixed well and and, and then and when you're writing you know you're, i'm writing for content yes i go back and i fix mistakes that i notice but that's not I can't interrupt the the creative part of it. Right. And when you're writing 50, 100,000 words, I don't care who you are. I don't care what is published. You're going to have a mistake in it. Right. Um, okay. So that's, I want to get now to, um, we told you a little bit about the story. We won't want to tell you too much more. We want you to buy the book. We want you to read the book. We want you to take a picture of yourself with the book and tag Bill Flanagan. And you can email me and tell me if you liked it. Tell me if you hated it. Yeah, like we want to, we want a conversation to start. I like talking about it. I've, uh, there's been quite a few people that have read it and I've had discussions with them. And it's funny because some of them have argued with me about, <laughs> and I tell them, I said, well, I, I wrote it. You're, you're arguing with the author about his character, about my characters. You, you need to go back and reread it because you're, you're a little bit off. You have, you have some preconceived biases <laughs> that are clouding your judgment on some things. So anyway. I'm married to a man with a very strong opinion. Okay. So three tips for, um, any of our viewers or listeners who want to publish a book, and you all know that self-publishing is totally possible and doable these Absolutely. days. And so um, obviously Bill self-published this. Um, he got help. 
he also got help without like hiring super, super expensive people. The most expensive part was the cover. And that was because I paid someone to do the cover. And then I looked at the cover and I thought, I've got to redo the cover. This isn't working for this story. She did exactly what I wanted. I got feedback from people that said, yeah, no, this looks like a children's book or a young a YA novel. You can't use this. And I go, shit, they're right. But I never saw that. Right. Neither did you until right. I showed you something, a mock-up that my brother had done. So you paid for two covers. So I paid for two covers. My mother did the red line editing. And she's excellent. And in the past, you had somebody else, but I, I, my mother was totally happy to do it. And so, um, and then you actually do a good job of like formatting and loading up the book yourself. Um, and so, well, you can download. I just downloaded a template right off of Kindle Direct Publishing. It's simple. Exactly. Yes. So it's a word template. So then you just write it in. I wrote it in Word, copied and pasted it into that template, and then had to tweak the format. You know, as I change things to make sure, you know, like the chapters were starting on the right. Well, page, I think that's spacing, the thing is that the everyday like that. person out there can let it be either really complicated, and that's a great reason not to do it, or what if it were simple? What would it? What if I let it be simple? My I'm, first book I published for sixty-two dollars. I paid a guy fifty bucks to do the cover. I bought two six-dollar pictures because I put color pictures in my book, and two of my pictures that I took. One was of Alcatraz. One was of something. Oh, it was, it was of, of me and my kids. They did not. They weren't high resolution enough. So I bought a picture off, uh, I don't know, someplace, $6. And then I read the other one. I can't remember, but it was, it was $62. So what are three tips that you would give to somebody wanting to self-publish a book? Well, what kind of book? It doesn't matter. Well, let's say you, I, I do believe everybody has a story. I, I, I firmly believe everybody has a book in them. And it doesn't have to be 100,000 words, 250, 300 page book. You, you could write, my novella is 30,000 words. And it's a nice little book. It's not super thick. It's not super skinny. It's, you know, well, it's a legit we, we size. Um, you picked up at lunch. We had lunch at a bookstore today and he picked up Call of the Wild. You know, the movie's coming out. Yes. Call of the Wild. Call of the Wild is the exactly same length the as same this length novella. This book. <laughs> I was shocked when My I... My brain was telling me that Call of the Wild is one of yes. these really big, thick books. Call of the Wild and Hollywood, Texas, same length. So everyone's got a book in us. Now, what we need to do is get started. That's the hardest part. You know, this story had been in my brain for a decade and, and I never sat down and typed a word. And then I, one day I just did it. I sat down and started typing away and I wrote the first paragraph. Katie Crockett was an international superstar. She even had the name for it. Her dad, a high school history teacher was an Alamo fanatic. When he floated the idea of giving Katie a middle name that would honor the greatest American frontiersman ever, his wife agreed. After all, who uses their middle name in everyday life? Middle initial, maybe. But as an actress, Katie Crockett McCann morphed into Katie Crockett, not only because it sounded cool, but because there was a Katie McCann already registered as a member of the Screen Actors Guild. That's all it took, that first paragraph. And it took me five minutes to write it. And once you write that first paragraph, 
you are off to the races. So second thing. So number one, everybody has a story, just start. Mm -hmm. Number two. Now, I did not sit down and write this every day, every week. I didn't have the time, I didn't think. And I don't even have a job, really. I mean, I have a, I had a part-time job that I worked at doing SAT and ACT prep for a learning center. And it got in the way of me sitting down and doing this, um, for sure. So I can't imagine how hard it would be. And I empathize with people that, you know, that have demanding jobs and they have kids. I will say that all I did was find an hour and a half or two to write. And if you have an hour and a half or two to write, and you can do that one time a week or even once every other week, twice a month, if you can sit down and write for an hour and a half or two hours, you could pump out easily 1,200 words, which isn't that much. Think about that. If, if you did that two times a month and did 2,400 words, and you did that for four months, you'd have, you'd have a content enough for a, a book without question. So, you know, I, you know I, I would not put time, you know, people say, well, I have to set goals. I didn't. I didn't pressure myself because I didn't want it to feel like homework. I didn't want it to feel like I had to do it. I sat down and did it when the mood hit me. And here's the other thing I think is really important is besides taking the time to write, you have to take the time to think. Mm. So I spent a lot of time in between writing sessions thinking about how I was going to weave this story next. And thank God I did it because if I'd have sat down and pumped it out quickly, I don't think it would have been what it is yeah. or as good. I had to, I had to come up with something and a lot of my ideas brewed in my head. I wasn't married to a bad idea. That's something that I believe in. If it, you can't figure it out, you're not married to it, get rid of it, start over with a different idea. When I mean ideas for me, it was basically chapters. What was going to oh, happen okay. next? Not a whole new premise. Right. So it, it, it's it's a little bit here and there. You so hear what, what? What? Let's help me get clear. What's the second tip exactly? Well, trying to bottom. It's line not as there. much time as you think. Oh, okay. And there's no time limit. You don't have to have it done right. in three months or six months. Um, you can do it in, in a year. A year's going to go by like that. So start. And then number two, keep going. Yeah, just keep going. <laughs> okay. And then number three, the big finale of tips to self-publish a book, fiction or nonfiction, yeah. is what? Are there three tips? I'm sure there are. But my now dog our dog is, is whining us. in the corner of my head. You are well <laughs> Welcome taken care to of. podcast recording in Allison's studio office. Go lie down. You have to pet her while you're talking. That's how it works. Is that right? Yeah. I think you should get feedback on your writing. There were times where I would give Allison a piece that I wanted to publish, and she would say, yeah, no. And I, would, and I listened to her, yeah. and I didn't publish it. And there were times where I gave her, you know, chunks of my fiction. I really felt like I wanted feedback as I did it. If I would have gotten feedback that wasn't necessarily positive or if I couldn't explain it well enough, then 
I would have listened to that. Yeah. So don't, you don't necessarily have to do it alone. I think that's the other thing too, with your first book, you know, you, you surrounded yourself and you had a few other friends that were also writing books and you, well, well we no, did, I really didn't. I mean, not while you were writing, but like those girls that you did the book launch with and you did. Yes. I know so them you got a little. Help, you got feedback. You didn't do it in a silent, private, secret echo chamber. I didn't let it, the writing consume me. There's a couple indie authors and they admitted to me, you know, my kids suffered, my husband suffered, the dinner suffered because all I could think about was churning out product. Right. I never, I, I don't think that's healthy. And I don't think, I think that's a lot of pressure on yourself. It's, it's not necessary. So when you feel like, wow, I, you know, I got all this other stuff. I can't write. That's fine. If it's, you know, a couple you know, a couple times a if month. If you don't have time much. to write it all, just buy the book and read it while you're on the commode. What? What does that have to do with anything? I'm just being silly. <laughs> Is that a problem? Yes, sometimes. <laughs> Knucklehead. All right. So um Yeah. Okay, so, so I'm one last to a thing. Author. What's your last thing? My mother read this book. <gasps> no, my mother never calls me. Basically, unless she wants something, she's and, and we'll that's find fine. Out real quick I, I, I think she's not gonna watch it. I think she thinks she's not gonna watch that. Stop you know, at her that. age, her kids could call her. Fair enough, I, I don't disagree with that. But she called me Sunday morning, she had bought it on Kindle version and read it, and just could not have been more complimentary. I was frankly kind of surprised. I don't know if my mother's read much of my writing. She's really hadn't commented on anything I've ever written for the most part. She doesn't say much about it, but she read this book and could not. I, I came home and I told her, my mom called me and said she really, really liked my book, that she couldn't stop reading it. It was That's not really normal engaging. for his mother. My mother would say that. She kind of she fawns and compliments. And your family is not a words of affirmation. So we that was not. a big deal. That, yes. My parents that, were both children of the Depression. They were raised in families. That just didn't occur. So, y'all, um, you can find Bill Flanagan, F-L-A-N-I-G-I-N, on Facebook, and Instagram on Instagram. He's it's at Billy Flan. Well, it's certainly not going to show up to the podcast viewers, but we'll put it in the show notes. He has a, a little book business card. Yeah. Um, and your website is Bill. BillFlanagan.com. I don't really use that so much. I squat on that site, but, but I do have a Facebook writers page. The one thing I'm not really good at is self-promotion. I, it seems weird to me, but it's just something you have to do if you want to sell a few books. Well, that's so. the other, that's the last thing I'll say. And then we'll close out is, you know, Bill doesn't come in here and ask me for business coaching on this book. He did ask me for feedback on the writing as his wife, but I, you know, I sit in my office, his office is from mine, Caddy corner. I pay attention to what he's doing and I would watch him. He'd be like, Oh, I went into this bookstore today and ask him if they'd sell my book. Oh, I, you know, so he is pounding the page. You, you do have to hustle. Yeah, you're you pounding the pavement. Not not stressed at all. No. Nope. Leroy, we were recording a podcast. You cannot hit your tail on the bookshelf. Can you hold this tail for a second? I got your tail. And so um, it's so funny because I see a lot of oh, my yeah. clients and often oh, people yeah. in the coaching world where we are kind of, you know, inner work and then on the outer work, we are trying to build our businesses. And Bill Flanagan does not sit behind his desk and go, 
I'm so confused. I'm overwhelmed. He just gets up and goes and does something and gets up and goes and does something. And today we went to this uh, bookstore in Georgetown, Texas. I called Lark Canal. It's a badass place. And um, I, loved it. I, I was like, did you talk to him about your book? And he's like, yeah, I totally talked to him about my book. Well, I, and here's one of the things I think is actually genius. So I got on Vistaprint and I printed up 250 business cards with a picture of the book. Here's the book on the back. Here's my contact information and a headshot and a little bit of the book cover. And I could leave it with them. If I see 10 women at a restaurant, I'm going to go interrupt them and say, Hey, buy my book. <laughs> you would too. I, you know, why not? Well, so I could I'm just saying. leave so them with a little saying. something. And then I can say, if you hated it, email me and tell me how much you hated it. Here's the thing. You're not promoting yourself and everybody thinks you're promoting yourself. You're promoting something of valuable that you think other people would like. That's what sales is. Sales is not selling something that you don't think people want. It's saying, Hey, I have something of value. Do you think you would want it? And so that's what I think is so funny. As you say, I have, I'm not down with self-promotion, but you are I'm not saying I'm not down with it. It's just not fun. It's hard, but you're doing it. You're, I'm you're doing promoting it. your book. That's the other thing. You're not self-promoting, right? You're promoting. And I do believe book. in the book. I believe in the story. It's always easy to sell something you believe in, obviously. Exactly. Yes. So with that, thank you for spending time with us today on the live recording of this podcast episode and on the podcast. If you do get a copy of the book or your little Kindle, hold that cover up, take a picture, tag at Billy Flan in it or at Bill Flanagan Writer on Facebook and let us know you thought. We'd love your Amazon That'd be reviews. Awesome. We'd love for you to share it with a friend. And if you're in Austin on December 15th. 15th um, yes. So we'll, we will be at a brew pub called Whitestone Brewery in Cedar Park. I'll have copies of my book for sale and to sign. It's, it's Sunday from one to three. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a great, cool little place. And we're going to have our book launch party. And come, come grab a book and have a beer there. Nope. I'm not buying the beer, but they do have lots of beer. <laughs> So I drink it. cheap beer. So Billy Flan lover, thanks for being on the podcast today. Thanks for having me, sweets. Mm. <laughs> Bye, y'all. Bye.